minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Oh, good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos.
וחרישו וקציר עולמים. פה עושים אופסיה קטנה, צועדים בו לברך שלוש פעמים. צדקתם תציר, צדקתם תציר, כאור שבעת הימים. השם אלוקי ישראל, עבד תמים, עבד תמים, השם אלוקי ישראל. Because 
J.M. in the A.M. Your Achmiel Begun, Miami Boys Choir. Ut Ut is their title track. Their latest here on a uh, J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Good morning. Here we are at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 FM and around the world on the web. J.M. in the A.M. dot O.R.G. Ut Ut, Miami. Shlomo Katz before that with Proke. You heard Yosef Carduner and Cole Mikade. Schlockrock and a Shabbat in Liverpool with Lachad Odi. Boy Vishalom done by Eitan Katz and Regesh Modani opening things up. As we say, good morning. We're here until 9. Naomi Nachman at 9 o'clock on our stream at jmnam.org. She'll be live from Gourmet Glotz, Spruce Street and Cedarhurst. Great lineup, great demonstrations, great giveaways. If you're anywhere near Gourmet Glot in the five towns, you want to make sure to stop by anytime between 9 and 10.30 this morning. That's how you can see Naomi Nachman in Table for Two live. If not, you got your audio, you got your video. We take good care of you at NachumSiegel.com and on the NSN app. The app will also have everything there for you. I think if you want to watch it, yeah, you can watch it on your phone or your iPad by going to NachumSiegel.com, but to, if you go to the app, you would not be able to watch it, be able to listen to it, right? Yeah. So, and you can comment on the app. <laughs> uh, Friday morning, a lot of things going on. Friday morning, it's May 8th, the 19th of ER, day 34 in the counting of the Omer. Thank you so much to the Stern and Fink families. It was so wonderful to get back into the swing of things. Of a wonderful weddings in Smachot. I was there last night at the um, uh, Meadowlands Hilton. I thanked them for scheduling the wedding on uh, Log Bomer. Got right back into the wedding season. I said to Yisrael Lamb, nice to reunite. And uh, he said it feels like we never left. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think some of the orchestra members had uh, had acknowledged that there was at least two or three weeks off. <laughs> Um, over the last, uh, over the last days of, over the, over the most recent days of Svira. Anyway, it's Erev Shabbos Parsha's MR outside of Israel. It's Erev Shabbos Parsha's MR. Candle lighting at 7.40. 7.40 is your official candle lighting time. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. And Sunday is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. We'll be celebrating this coming Sunday. 54 degrees, 99% humidity. Winds are west at 3 miles per hour. Sunny weather with a high temperature of 78. I'll tell you, I don't want to say it, but I'll allude to it. Pretty good weather the last couple of days, huh? Uh, <laughs> does that go as, a, as alluding to it or saying it? Uh, mostly clear tonight, a low temperature of 58. And then clouds for tomorrow, a high temperature of 72. Right now, 76 in Yerushalayim. 54 here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. 25 minutes before the hour, Malcolm Homeline an hour from now. Weekly update will be on the air here at JM in the AM. Lots to talk about. Boy, is there a lot to talk about. I just added some topics last night. Got into a nice conversation last night with Josh Levine and some of his uh, colleagues. And they alerted me to, uh, to a topic that I had not even considered for this week. So imagine that. It's, it's good to schmooze with some people who are in the know. Because uh, they gave me a um, a very important news update that we're going to use during the weekly update today. So that will be coming up. Rabbi Yudin, of course, at 8.15. And as I said, Naomi Nachman at 9 a.m. right after 
JM in the AM on jmtheam.org and on the NSN app, etc., etc. Friday morning, it's JM in the AM. This is the, this is that latest piece, uh, that we played yesterday from the Iron Titlebaum Orchestra, an incredible musical masterpiece, which includes people like Yisrael Lam, Simcha Liner, uh, the, uh, you did them choir with Yankee Orlonsky and company. Pretty amazing piece. Here it is at JM in the AM.
Shalom. 
morning. Jam in the AM. The great Shlomo Kalbach, of course. A lot of Bowie Vishalom's today in our music mix. Likrat Shabbat done by Shlomo Katz, the Moshav band with Bowie Vishalom. Shira Shabbat done by Am Kadosh. And Yisrael Lamb with that amazing musical masterpiece. Uh, just uploaded a couple of days back. Friday morning on this day 34 in the counting of the Omer. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas MR with candle lighting at 740. And this is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmdm.org. Sunday is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Galei Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday next to JMN. Galei Tzal, Asha'a Shtayim, Kan Shibel Karmi Mansour, in Masha Korea Akshav. בית המשפט דן בהערכת מעצרה של עורכת הדין רות דוד, פרקליטת מחוז תל אביב לשעבר, החשודה בתיווך לשוחד. דוד עצמה נמצאת בבית החולים לאחר שהתמוטטה בכניסה לדיון. כתבנו אלדר גילרן. הדיון בבית המשפט השלום בירושלים מתחדש למרות היעדרותה של רות דוד, שעדיין נמצאת בבדיקות בבית החולים שערי צדק לאחר שהתמוטטה בכניסה לבית המשפט. במהלך הדיון אמר נציג מחש כי חלה התפתחות בחקירה, וכי דוד חשודה בשיבוש מספר חקירות משטרתיות נוספות, וזאת בנוסף לחשד ותיווך לשוחד. בעקבות כך דורשים במחלקה לחקירות שוטרים להאריך את מעצרה בארבעה ימים נוספים. עורך דינה של דוד, יאיר גולן, מתח ביקורת על אמירת נציג מח"ש בדיון שדוד זייפה את ההתעלפות. היא איבדה את ההכרה, והיא מאבדת את ההכרה מדי פעם. היא סובלת משישות מוחלטת, נחקרה מספר פעמים שעות ארוכות, עונה על כל שאלה, משתפת באופן מלא לחלוטין כדי לאפשר את מיצוי החקירה. אני חושב שדברים כאלה מפי בא כוח מח"ש, שהוא נכח בעצמו, שהיא באובדן הכרה מלא, שאי אפשר לשחק את זה, והוא מעז לדבר בצורה כזאת, הדבר הזה הוא מחפיר בעיניי. הבחירות בבריטניה, ראש הממשלה דייוויד קמרון הוא המנצח הגדול של מערכת הבחירות. בינתיים המפסידים מתפטרים. And therefore I announced that I will be resigning as leader of the Liberal Democrats. אלה היו ראש המפלגה הליברל דמוקרטית וראש מפלגת הימין הקיצוני יוקיפ. גם ראש מפלגת הלבור אד מיליבנד צפוי להודיע על התפטרותו. אדם ששדד תכשיטים בשווי חצי מיליון שקלים מחנות בכיכר המדינה נעצר הבוקר. כתבתנו שרון פולבר. השוד אירע אתמול בכיכר המדינה בתל אביב. במהלכו נכנס לחשוד לחנות תכשיטים כשהוא מחופש לאישה ושדד את הסחורה באיומי אקדח. שוטרי תחנת לב תל אביב עצרו אותו הבוקר כשהוא יצא מביתו בבאר שבע ואיתרו בתיק שנשא את הסחורה הגנובה ואת התחפושת. הוא יובא בהמשך להארכת מעצרו בבית משפט השלום בתל אביב. השחקן אריה אליאס, שהלך אמש לעולמו בגיל 94, הובא הבוקר למנוחות בבית העלמין מנוחה נכונה בכפר סבא. בנו סיני וחברו זאב רווח ספדו לו. יום עצוב, אדם יקר שנפרד מאיתנו, ואני אתגעגע אליו מאוד מאוד. הוא חי בכל תפקיד שנתנו לו. אתה אהבת את הבמה, הבמה אהבה אותך, הקהל אהב אותך, אתה אהבת את הקשר הישיר, ולכן גם היום כשאנחנו נפרדים ממך, אתה מוקף באנשים שליוו אותך לאורך שנות חייך, וגם באנשים שאתה ליווית אותם בלי שהכרת אותם בכלל. כשלכל אחד פה יש פינה בלב בשבילך. 
אליאס התפרסם בין היתר בתפקידיו בסרטים קזבלן וצ'ארלי וחצי. כתבתנו דרור שדות מוסרת שעל פעילותו הוא זכה בפרס אופיר ובפרס איגוד אומני ישראל למפעל חיים. תחזית מזג האוויר היום ללא שינוי, מחר טמפרטורות גבוהות מהרגיל, בתחילת השבוע התקררות. ולסיום, רדאר של נאס"א שפותח על מנת לאתר חוצנים בחלל, איתר ארבעה נפאלים שנלכדו בהריסות כמעט שבועיים לאחר רעש האדמה. כתבנו עומר קדרון. יחידת הרדאר הניידת שנקראת פיינדר הצליחה בימים האחרונים לאתר את דפיקות הלב של ארבעה בני אדם בשתי זירות שונות בנפאל, ובכך סייעה למחלצים להוציא אותם בחיים מההריסות. המכשיר מבוסס על טכנולוגיה שפיתחה נאס"א לפני מספר שנים, ויועדה בכלל במקור לשמש למציאת חיים בחלל. אלה החדשות שעורכת טל יחזקאלי בצוות רון רוזנבוים ואבי כהן.
Jam in the AM. Udi Davidi with Curry Bone. You heard Simcha Liner with Pischi Lee. Benny Friedman's Bum Bum. Miami had Shalom Aleichem. Was that Shalom Aleichem? Oh, that was... Um, that wasn't Miami. That was uh, Avram Fried. Huh. Not sure how I got that wrong. I thought Miami's Tsuri Israel was somewhere in there. <laughs> uh, I think it's at some point it was. If the playlist is not 100% accurate, now you know why, and I apologize. Friday morning, it's JM in the AM, day 34 in the counting of the Omer. Four weeks and six days. Forgot to count last night. Make sure to do so sometime today. It's Erev Shabbos Parsha's MR, at least outside of Israel, it's Parsha's MR. Candle lighting at 7.40. 7.40 is official candle lighting time. Sunday's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Uh, JM in the AM ends at 9. And then Naomi Nachman with Table for Two, live from Gourmet Glot on Spruce Street in Cedarhurst, where she has amazing guests, amazing demonstrations, and amazing giveaways. If you're anywhere near Gourmet Glot between 9 a.m. and 10.30 this morning... Uh, out in Cedarhurst, you want to make sure to stop by and say hi. Well worth your time. If you can't be there, you got the NSN app. You got jmnam.org. You have com to watch the actual live presentation of Table for Two. It's all coming up right after JM and the AM. Well, there's been a campaign going on on social media, um, which has caught the attention of the uh, Jewish community. And the Chava Siegel... One of my wonderful children, Chava Siegel, uh, asked me if she could join me this morning just to emphasize how important this campaign is and to encourage everybody to participate. Chava Siegel, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. All right, tell everybody what's going on. Tell everybody what the situation is, and then we'll explain how people can get involved. Okay. My dear teacher, Esther Hertzfeld, with whom I have a very close relationship, has four children with physical disabilities. Three of her children have a difficult time walking, and one of her children cannot walk at all. While she faces many struggles on a daily basis, one of her biggest struggles is getting her kids into the car. While it is difficult to transfer three of her kids into the car, one of her kids is not able to be with them into the car at all and is therefore never able to go anywhere in the car. This prevents her family from ever going on family trips or even traveling together on a regular day. There's a contest being run, which is giving away a van with an attached ramp for wheelchairs or scooters, which will majorly alleviate this problem. The cost of this van is $70,000, which my teacher cannot afford. But she now has this amazing opportunity to win it in this contest. The contest will go on until May 31st, and I ask you to do your best to vote once a day and every day to help her win this van. So I ask you, my Damon and family, to please help by doing one small deed for a person who does so much and inspires me and many other students every day. All right, so Chava Siegel, and as she said, many other students and a lot of people in the Jewish community are urging um, uh, people everywhere to join in National Mobility Awareness Month, which has become a movement in and of itself, and to vote for Esther Hertzfeld. It's H-E-R-Z-F-E-L-D. And uh, Chava and I will now describe just how easy it is to do this. And one of the things we should emphasize, Chava, is that everybody can vote every single day, meaning every day you could place at least one vote for the Hertzfeld family, right? Yes, every day. All right. 
Uh, so what would be the easiest thing? The easiest thing is that uh, if anybody out there uh, has Facebook, they can go to Nahum Siegel Network Facebook page. We're going to have the link up there. It will be very easy for them to get to the National Mobility Awareness Month site. And then I was told that if you just search the word Esther, you'll automatically get to her page. Have you tried that out? Yeah. And it works? Esther and Tinek. Yeah. Okay, Esther and Teaneck, New Jersey. So if you do that, uh, you'll be able to get to the um, uh, to the page, and you could vote, and you can vote, as we said, once per day. What's this thing about answering a question and getting the ability to vote more than once? Before you vote, if you answer a question about um, the the mobility of the of the car, then you can get an extra vote if All you right. get the question right. And that you could do also every day. So in reality, you could vote twice a day, so to speak. Yes, but make sure to answer the question before you even vote one. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so that's what you do. If you go to uh, mobilityawarenessmonth.com, mobilityawarenessmonth.com, you will see it once you search Esther Teaneck, New Jersey. We're trying to, um, to to get as many votes as possible so that the Hertzfeld family will be the winners of this van and be able to uh, improve and, and make their lives a little bit easier in a very difficult Situation. All right. What about people without Facebook? Can they uh, can they access this easily through the web? Yeah, they can go to they can go to mobilityawarenessmonth.com and right. search Esther. And that's it. All right. So whether you have Facebook or not, uh, this is relatively easy. It's mobilityawarenessmonth.com. Mobilityawarenessmonth.com. As Chava Siegel just described, we're trying to help the Hertzfeld family get one of these vans, a van that would. Um, really change their lives and improve things and make things a drop easier, at least a drop, if not much more easier, for them in a difficult circumstance. So we're urging everybody worldwide, everybody in the entire community worldwide, um, help out a family that's in need. Go to na- go to mobilityawarenessmonth.com, mobilityawarenessmonth.com, or look for the link or look for the link on our uh, Nahum Siegel Network Facebook update page. And you can search uh, Esther Hertzfeld, H-E-R-Z-F-E-L-D, Teaneck, New Jersey. You're allowed to vote once per day. By the way, Chava Siegel, we should remind everybody that um, obviously most people think we lose a day uh, to do something like this because of Shabbos. But in reality, you could vote, I guess, before Shabbos today and after Shabbos tomorrow, right? Yes, totally. All right. So everyone can actually vote seven days a week and be able to participate in that way. And if you answer the question, as we described just a few minutes ago, You'll be able to vote twice per day. All right, Chava, anything else people need to know? Or, you, or do you want, just want to encourage them to spread the word and uh, hopefully the Hertzfeld family will win? I just want to encourage everyone to spread the word, share the link with your friends, and try your best to vote every single day. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. There she is, the great Chava Siegel. She's in, uh, she's in her high school carpool. And nonetheless, takes the time to uh, think of others and get on the air and encourage everybody to help out. So it's mobilityawarenessmonth.com. Mobilityawarenessmonth.com. We are asking everybody to consider Esther Hertzfeld, H-E-R-Z-F-E-L-D of Teaneck, New Jersey. And hopefully they will win that van. You could vote at least once a day. We say at least because if you answer the question before you vote at all, if you answer a question on the website, uh, you could vote twice. Try to do it before Shabbos. Try to do it after Shabbos. Someone pointed out to me yesterday that Shavuos being a three-day yuntif outside of Israel, we are going to lose a couple of days. So you want to make sure to be vigilant and diligent 
about voting uh, until we get to there, about voting seven days a week, as we described. More coming up. It's JM in the AM. Keep it here at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. <laughs>
KM in the AM with a Shabbat in Liverpool. Lenny Solomon, Schlockrock. Malcolm Holmline is going to be joining us. He's on the road this morning, but he will get to us in the next few minutes, and we'll start our weekly update. Lots to talk about in the news. He'll be joining us coming up here at JM in the AM. Weekly update is next, and Rabbi Yudin, of course, coming up at 8.15. 9 o'clock, Naomi Nachman with an amazing array of guests, demonstrations, um, giveaways. She'll be on Spruce Street in Cedarhurst. They call it Gourmet Glot. It's an amazing place. Uh, she will be there starting at 9 o'clock this morning with a live rendition of Table for Two. Uh, live edition, I should say, of Table for Two. Make sure to be tuned in. NSN app, jmnam.org, NahumSiegel.com. You actually see everything that's going on at NahumSiegel.com, which will be pretty cool. Um, all right, so uh, keep that in mind. That's for 9 o'clock this morning. Reminder, great weekend programming, including Matis Weingast with JM Sunday this coming Sunday, just when you thought. That you don't have JM in the AM six days a week. Guess what? Matis made sure years ago to implement JM Sunday with news from Israel. And by the way, he has a great newscaster from Israel in English. Really good newscast. I heard it last week. Um, and, uh, just continues to get better and better. Anyway, um, that's Hannah Julian, who, by the way, is responsible for that. So he's got an amazing newscast, uh, morning chizuk, uh, guests. Great music, anything you'd expect, he's got. Uh, Matis Weingast, JM Sunday between 7 and 9 a.m. every single Sunday, between 7 and 9 a.m. Uh, Eastern Time every single Sunday on jmintheam.org. Here's IEA Kunstler. <laughs>
JM in the AM, Arya Kunzler. Candle lighting at 7.40, Erev Shabbos Parshas MR. Big hello to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend our incredible live stream to their hundreds of thousands of readers, and we thank them. JewishWorldview.com, if you want to print out everything that you could possibly read over Shabbos about what's going on in this world, uh, go there before Shabbos. Have a lot of ink and paper in your printer. Trust me, you need a lot when you go to JewishWorldview.com. And to check it out, uh, they're an amazing resource. Erev Shabbos Parshas MR, 34 in the counting of the Omer, 34. Mother's Day is Sunday. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there from all of us here at JM and the AM. Malcolm Holmline is on the road. Uh, he is uh, heading to a uh, very uh, prominent ceremony, which we'll mention in a moment. And he is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update this time every Friday. Mr. Honline, or should I say Dr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, you can call me anything you like, but late for supper. <laughs> this is the third time that you're receiving an honorary doctorate. The most I've done, Malcolm, is gotten greeted at some minor league baseball Jewish heritage night. You gotta give me advice. How do I get one of these universities to give me an honorary doctorate? <laughs> you have to be on the other side of the microphone in order to get it. That's what it is. I never thought of it that way. Anyway. So, one of the honorees, this is at Temple University, uh, is Nagandi, who is a, uh, broadcaster hmm. on ESPN. He was a graduate of Temple University also. And uh, I don't know. They say that more than ten thousand people come to this thing to to participate. So I'm going to check how many are JM and AM listeners. Yeah, I hope a lot of them. But I'll tell you one thing: of that e- that ESPN guy's got a lot better publicity machine than I do. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I, I'm I, I'm so desperate, Malcolm. I'm thinking of hiring Pamela Geller for a little publicity. What do you think? That's that's it. Could, it could be very little. <laughs> yeah, well, it could be very beneficial. She certainly knows how to play the media. You could tell, I could tell you that much, and we'll discuss that and much more coming up. What's your reaction to the re-election of David Cameron in the United Kingdom? It's uh, very interesting because it went against all the predictions, sort of uh, parallels in a sense, the elections in Israel. Uh, I think it's certainly a more positive outcome, uh, given the, some of the proclivities of the leader of the Labor Party, Bill uh, I think that uh, Cameron Cross was the better choice and stability in Europe. Um, and the fact that he won a resounding victory, as you remember, uh, there were people who were comparing the campaign all along to that of Netanyahu. Right. And uh, the outcome reflects that. It's, it's really quite surprising. Well, yeah, but we could talk about uh, the aftermath of the Israel election, which we will in a moment, um, because it, it does not seem that... Uh, now that the government has been formed and is going to be official, that Netanyahu is as strong as we might have suspected. Um, how overwhelming was the victory, by the way, for Cameron? I mean, to the point where his opposition, where his opponent actually left the leadership role of his party at this point, right? He did, and it's going to be interesting to see whether his brother, who was really a contender and was foreign minister, and who in the interim has served as chairman of the International Rescue Committee based in New York, whether he will come back and try to reclaim a role. And it's also, uh, it's going to cause a, a real shakeup. But when the last that I saw, he was uh, very close to uh, at a majority, uh, meaning that he would not have, he could negotiate from a position of strength. England generally has had coalition governments also. 
But there, you have the chance to win a majority in Israel. I think it's impossible. Right. Uh, by the way, everybody, obviously Malcolm's on a cell phone. We only only do this when it's absolutely necessary. He's traveling down to Temple University and. Obviously, we try to utilize a landline every week whenever possible. All right, so going to Israel for a moment, uh, it is pretty amazing that when the election was over, uh, and for the weeks after the election, and the Netanyahu victory was seen as a ra- relatively overwhelming one. Again, as you just said, you know, ev- everything is relative, especially in Israel where it's impossible to win a real majority. Um, and yet the government is formed. It's only 61 seats. The media, both in the United States and Israel, I would think in other places as well, is uh, painting it as a, as a relatively weak government. How did Netanyahu get to this point where the, the polls seem to indicate he'd be so strong and now as he's being sworn in, he looks so weak? It's a good question. And, uh, it's, you know, one of the anomalies of Israeli politics is that, uh, is that the process of negotiations tends to weaken because everybody thinks that they have him over a barrel, that they could all make demands. Uh, Lieberman, well, we have to give him credit that he stands by his principle or had some sort of political strategy, perhaps thinking that he would be zero next time. He went down from as high as I think was a 13 or uh, to, to five this time, that uh, by being in the opposition, he could recreate an identity and try to remobilize a base. But the... Uh, the negotiation process is really a demeaning one for the prime minister. And having come out of this uh, looking, as you said, very good, and ending up with the image, at least, of a weak government and a, a sector government, leaving open the foreign ministry position, which everyone believes he's holding perhaps for a unity government or to bring back other parties. And I think in the interim, he will try to peel off some of the members from uh, Lapid's party or from Lieberman's party, uh, offering them incentives to come and join so he can build up his majority. Uh, the 61 vote is, means that every member holds him to over a barrel. Right. And, um, and they, I mean, I, this may be overstating the obvious, but anybody who would do that then would have to leave their party officially and become a member of Likud, I assume? Right. You, you can't stay in that party and yeah, become. It, it has happened right. before, but you can switch, uh, to the to the coalition. So leaving Lieberman's values and principles aside for a moment, it may have been a brilliant strategy on his part to sort of separate himself from the Netanyahu government. He's stronger in this position, so to speak. And the other issue is, you know, you allude to how difficult the negotiation is and demeaning to the prime minister. Was it? And and you could tell us if this was different decades ago or not. Did this always go on? Because it seems that the the stakes are now so much higher that those who have control, and as you described, almost everybody does. Those who have the prime minister over the bar- over a barrel, it-, it seems like the demands that they're making are so much more politically speaking than in past years. Yes, because you know the the in the early years it was everybody was uh, part of the you know the Labour Party had not so dominated the election process and. So it was so, uh, you know, the, the minority parties like Megan and everybody were relatively insignificant uh, in compared to it. So the negotiations were different. In later years, this has been a common practice. Remember, Shamir and Paris had to rotate right. the uh, prime ministership. We've had other instances where you had on very close votes and very, you know, close majorities or non-majorities, I mean, right. um, that this kind of 
horse trading goes on. The difference also now is that everything is public. Right. It used to be this stuff used to go on, you know, in smoke-filled rooms like in America where they would decide, you know, what the candidate was. Now everything is exposed and... and uh, every, mo- every moment of the negotiations are being tweeted out, basically. You know what? That's a good point. I forgot even about the Internet. I was just talking about how aggressive the media is generally in covering things. But you're right. It's also the the degree to which the people secrets. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, we knew Shaked would be a minister of justice before she did. Right. <laughs> it's it's amazing. I'll tell you. And I, I'm obviously I'm exaggerating, but you get my point. Um, it, 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 and, and I, I should have thought of it. It's so obvious. You, the, I should have thought of that as I was asking the question that, you know, things are so tight now that obviously the negotiations are going to be much, much crazier. We've seen this with local state legislatures, you know, those that, you know, have one or two people that, you know, can affect the direction, the political direction that a body of government can go in. They hold a tremendous amount of power. Who, who breaks this stronghold? Who breaks this you know, the, 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 this this craziness. I, I guess until the numbers really move one way or the other, it'll never be broken. And and every government pledges reform of the electoral system because everybody knows that it doesn't work well. But nobody will do it when it jeopardizes their vested interests. Right. The other thing I think now is that it's become so personal in the relationships. You know, it's not about uh, Bayatudin and Likud. It's about Netanyahu's relationship with Bennett. It's about everybody's personal relationships as opposed to even differences over fundamental issues or, or important uh, uh, policies. And I think that that, too, affects uh, the way the negotiations go now. I hate to say it, and I'm sure Bibi would hate to hear it, but it might have been better for the Israeli people if there was a real coalition or unity government formed, even if it meant you know road-trading prime ministers or some other drastic measure like that. Well, in terms of the United States government, I can assure you that that's something that they would prefer. Right. In terms of, <laughs> that doesn't make it good or bad, but <laughs> in terms, and, and, you know, how the media would have portrayed it as a centrist, you know, government. Right. Government that includes the center. So this is going to be portrayed, of course, as a right-wing, you know, uh, religious government. Yeah. Uh, interesting. You know, we, we know what, uh, we know what, um, oh, what's the word? Uh, deadlock, you know, gridlock. We know what political mm-hmm. gridlock is. We're very familiar with it in this country. Washington is referred to, it's practically the nickname of Washington <laughs> at this point. And, and it just seems like, it just seems based on these negotiations that it's going to be so tenuous. We're going to be speaking every week about the potential downfall of the Israeli government. The one thing that is in his advantage is that people do not want another election. People are tired of it. You raised it earlier. The question that people are asking is, so why did he go to elections that he has a weaker government now than he had before? Yeah. Was the timing wrong? Was it uh, was the decision wrong? And did he waste the opportunity given the majority that he came out with the 30 votes at the time? Uh, it, you know, But it's very easy to second-guess and it's very easy to sit on the sidelines and make assumptions when when you're there on the front line having to make these decisions yeah. much tougher. He may have outsmarted himself, like the Yankees did. You know, the Yankees thought the fans would all hate A-Rod, and look what happened. Everybody's in love with him now. So, you know, you just miscalculate. A little different scale. But <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's
It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM Dial Broadcasting Live. From the Sony and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Malcolm appreciating my Major League Baseball references. So, um... All right. Start from the beginning uh, with with the episode in Texas. I, it, I I don't know. I understand the value of freedom of speech and the uh, and the importance of getting out there and uh, and defending it and making a point, etc. Uh, with all that in mind, tell us what you thought of the nature of the event, and then update us whether, in fact, any international terrorist groups were behind the shooting down there. Well, on the likelihood of, an, of a group being behind it, uh, there always are at least tenuous relationships, if not direct involvement in training and inspiration and education and motivation. But I don't believe that here that Al-Qaeda's claim is credible or the other claims that IS's claims is, rather is credible. Uh, it's something that we will find out. They, they clearly had the literature. They had a lot of other material there in their apartments. We have to hear what the reports really uh, say about it. Um, about the event itself, one of the problems with this is is that you, you demean the significance of the issue that they are, are highlighting, which means which is freedom of speech, right. uh, it, it, which is demanded for everyone, but not when it involves uh, you know Islam or pictures of Muhammad. But frankly, cartoon contests are not the way to do it. I understand why some people see it as provocation, others see it other ways. I mean, it should be able to take place. It shouldn't be a threat. They should be able to do it like everybody else, you know, finds ways to give expression. You remember in New York we had that uh, art display where yep. the mayor and others came out against it. Yeah, but uh, yet because, defended the right? Because it was offensive and right. because it depicted the religious, their religious leader uh, um, in, in a demeaning way. Right. I think there has to be more sensitivity, and we have to think about where you draw the line. Does it does it backfire on us, and and in fact cause a, a reverse reaction uh, to it? And you see the coverage in the media, though, that it's it's very mixed. The principle should be inviolate, and that is that the same standards apply to everybody. And the fact that that they intimidate uh, people from you know, depictions of Muhammad or, or things like that, as, as was the case with Charlie in, in uh, France. Right. But it, it, you have to, as I say, you say, you have to think about when is it appropriate and what is the most appropriate way to do it. All right. An appropriate method. We, we all agree with the principle, but it's got to be done with an appropriate method. I mean, here, I would assume that, you know, the people involved were, were, were looking to shake things up, so to speak. You'd have to think that, right? Of course. Yeah, and, the, and it did. Uh, well, it did in that end. because because they have the they have the greatest accomplice. They have the, the the media going nuts about it. Yes, but we saw with the you know subway signs, and then you have the counter signs, and then the it calls the port authority now cancels all signs. Right. I don't know what the net gain is. If if the other side does it, I think absolutely it is appropriate then to respond kind and make sure that the standards are universally applied. Right. Uh, yesterday there was a vote in Congress that dealt with Iran. Could you explain this one to me, please? Uh, yeah, sort of. We've talked about it for a long time, but now the reality, it was a, a very strong vote. 
uh, it now goes to the House to, to approve. So this was the Senate approving the, Senate. approving right. the bill to review the Iran nuclear deal. Yes, and what it does, it says that they essentially have the power to review the deal within 30 days of the, uh, of the president signing it. But we've heard many disturbing things uh, in the last few days, which really not only undermine the legislation, but its intent. Uh, when Jack Lew, the Secretary of Treasury, said the president uh, you know, is going to use his authority and act, and they're making a distinction between lifting the sanctions, meaning suspending them, versus canceling them. He said canceling them only Congress can do. Lifting them is within the purview of the president's powers. This is, it should be seen by Congress as an attempt not only to, to end run it, but to negate the impact of the legislation, which said, look, you have three branches. He's not making it a treaty which would automatically require two-thirds of the Senate's approval. He's saying it's an agreement, an executive agreement, which does not require presidential approval. Other presidents have done it, too. But something of such magnitude, where overwhelmingly the American people, even in polls in the last days, show overwhelmingly distrust Iran, they distrust the deal, they don't like it, they're, they're suspect of it, that the that to undermine the role of, of, of the Senate, and frankly I think uh, Menendez is uh, stepping down as a vice chairman uh, hurt the process. Yep. Uh, um, I think the intent on the part of most, uh, of, the, most of the members of the Senate was good and uh, you know, there were there were many amendments that were proposed, but the feeling was that that would sink the bill altogether. So it is a tool for Congress now. It is uh, um, better than not having it. The question is how effective it will be. We'll only know once it's tested. And what about the House? When does that happen? Uh, hopefully in the next days, a week or so, it should be. They're, they're talking about the vote on it. and. It will pass there. So it will pass there, and the well, because you have no opposition, the president supports it. The you know administration supports it again because it doesn't impinge his view on on presidential prerogative. You know this is always the argument. We've had it many many times going back to Jackson Vanek. I remember about you know presidential prerogative and foreign affairs, and you can uh, it has to be inviolate, et cetera. Why Jackson Vanek was. Uh... Ended up ended up needing what presidential approval? Both? What, what do you mean? No, it was Congress initiated right. Jackson, if you remember. But it, it dealt with imposing sanctions and restrictions on Iran, on Russia, and Nixon was was against it at the time. And the argument they made is that foreign policy should not be made by the Senate, the president, they have the right to to approve, disapprove. Uh, but I'm citing it as one of I can I remember many times when we had issues. Involving Israel, involving other countries, where uh, presidents, you know, jealously protect their their prerogative. Right. Um, so, what's the latest with the negotiations? We know about the June deadline, and uh, we saw Secretary Kerry this week was pretty outspoken about the hopes for a real deal. Is there anything new in the last couple of weeks? Well, the fact that he's traveling in Africa um, and not at the negotiating table, though there are others obviously who continue. But look at the statements this week again by Khamenei, and this, I know people may be tired of hearing it, but to me, it, it is inexplicable that the Khamenei can say, the America, we're ready for war with America, we'll take them on, the leader of the IRGC, you know, America's afraid to attack us, we're gonna, we would beat them. They, they released finally the Maersk ship, which they claim was a, a financial, uh, claim against the Maersk, uh, shipping line going back 10 years, but America now has to escort American-British shipping through the Straits of Hormuz, 
and we're negotiating with them. They're threatening our shipping. They 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 seize a ship under American protection. They can make all of these horrendous, threatening statements and work together with other parties against us. And we've seen even a bit of a rapprochement with uh, Turkey and uh, other countries working together. The Saudi king today, uh, yesterday, came out very strongly warning against the danger uh, of Iran. Obviously, the events in Yemen uh, are at the forefront, and we see that that confrontation continues, and, and the uh, Iranians have made more threatening statements about it, but so far, the, the Saudis and their allies did what, what you do, and that is you go ahead, you bomb, and you take the steps necessary, whether how effective they are and what the outcome will be. I think it's right now a little hard to predict, but the the fact is that those actions have made a difference there, and, and the Houthis have been uh, have been stopped, and we stopped the you know the resupply by that convoy of Iranian ships and turned back. Is, is it safe to is it safe to say that Saudi leadership is disappointed in President Obama and Secretary Kerry at this point? Well, the previous king was, and this new king uh, has expressed it. Uh, I think we have to look closely at the moves he's making, and something I did discuss before it happened about the uh, shifting of the the new crown prince, which is his uh, right. his son. Uh, who's uh, the deputy crown prince? The crown prince he switched from uh, Mugrin to Naik. All these things have real consequences. This guy is much more conservative. He's he's released again the religious police. He's taken other steps, uh, which I think we have to be uh, a little wary of, especially the new uh, or reestablished relations with Turkey, where they're working together in Syria. Whether it's just a, ma- a marriage of convenience for the moment or not. We will have to see, um, and even with Qatar, by the way, involved in that as well. Uh, and you know, Qatar and Saudi Arabia hate each other and and have been, uh, been at odds for a long time. So I, I I think people have to be a little careful in rushing to judgment about how beneficial these changes are and and what it will mean long term. Because uh, as you know, alliances are very temporary, friendships are very temporary, and all of these. Things can be turned against other parties in the Middle East. I want to turn for a second. We have some some really good questions on the NSN app, which I, I didn't even solicit, but people are are writing in. Does the sixty one seat coalition weaken Netanyahu to the point where it'll affect his ability to hit Iran? Usually, when it gets to things like that, there's a lot more unity and a, a lot more togetherness, right, Malcolm? Number one is the question of capacity. I do believe they have the capacity, and I think that they have the plans to do it. I think they would find support. In Israel and outside, I think this is a unifying issue. Right. Uh, Herzog and others have said that they stand on this issue together with uh, Netanyahu. It is a consensus issue in Israel, uh, certainly to fight Iran and to oppose it, and I think if necessary to take the action to defend Israel. Someone writes about the Jewish leadership meeting that you and I spoke about last week with the President of the United States, and that there's an article that was printed about the uh, Pollard issue not being brought up. Malcolm, am I right or not? that there's no major Jewish leadership meeting, at least the ones that you coordinate, where the name Pollard does not come up? First of all, we did raise it, not in the meeting with the president. That's what I figured. Immediately in the, figured. in the setting there with his people before and after, and in meetings I had earlier in that week, we raised it all the time. Um, at this meeting, obviously, we were in a very intense exchange about Iran and about Israel, and frankly, the president had a lead. Uh, it is an issue always on our agenda, and 
Uh, I am more frustrated than any of your listeners because of all the time we put in and all the effort and and the fact that this man is suffering after 30 years. It's inexplicable. It's inexcusable. And I tell people all the time, if they have an idea of what we can do, we will do it. But right. we, we have to... The, the idea that it didn't come up in the meeting there were, we, there were other issues also right. that we wanted to raise it we couldn't because it was very intense and until you sit there and you know that you, you, you're dealing with an issue of, of the magnitude of Iran or the future of the U.S.-Israel relationship and the president needs to get the message, he knows where we stand on, on Pollard he needs to hear it all the time and we have to reiterate it and and make demands and continue to support. But and you'd like to know when the last time that the people who are asking us about this have written or called about Pollard. That's for sure. Um, what's the rumor that you were in Argentina this week? I, I came back yesterday morning. I was in Argentina for a day and a half because the deterioration of the situation there it is, frankly, not, uh, uh, you know, I deal with a lot of these issues all the time, and I had some idea of what to anticipate. I was not prepared for what we found. The fear, the intimidation of the Jewish community, that, that and unlike Europe, where it starts from the people up, and, and officials, the Prime Minister of France, Foreign Minister, others, speak out against anti-Semitism. Here, it's emanating from the President and the Foreign Minister and, and leaders, that Jewish leaders uh, are now subject of a lawsuit brought by a man renowned to be an anti-Semite, um, charging them with treason. And people are being named, including by the president's office. They talk about this conspiracy between the leaders of the Amiadaya, which are the central bodies, with the vulture capitalists in, in New York and the, the uh, uh, other leaders. And, and it is unbelievable. And people told me we met had maybe 15 meetings in that day and a half uh, with the legislators and others. Uh, and, of course, all of the leadership of the community. They told me they used to walk on the street. You know, it's not a small community. There are two to 300,000 Jews in, in, in Argentina. Nobody knows the exact number, it seems. And and now they say they get harassed because this message spreads. And, and you know that words of hate lead to acts of hate. When it comes from the president and the, and the, the foreign minister who's, who resigned from the Jewish community in a public repudiation, a man who, who, whose father we all say demonstrated for Hector Timmerman, for those who remember, um, it, it is simply outrageous, and, and uh, the, the fear was so evident, and the concern from non-Jews as well about what the implications of the directness is taken, and they're in the middle of an election campaign, so we had to be careful not to become part of the election and, and let them use uh, our visit against us. It got a lot of coverage, and hopefully, it's a bit of an insurance policy. What do they they officially say about the the murder? At least it looks like a murder of the prosecutor. Well, there's hardly anybody we met who doesn't believe it was a murder. Uh, They are trying to demean him and diminish him. There's all sorts of rumors that constantly come out, coming from official quote uh, or unofficial uh, sources, um, but clearly leaked by them. Everything here was so botched up. One person described the circus, as they put it, in his room where he died, right after his death. And people were taking things. He touched things. Everything has been done wrong. And right now, his investigation appears to be on hold. And because he may have gotten 
too close to to some of the sources of the problems. And you know, he was to testify that day before the Senate uh, with allegations against the prime minister, the president, and the foreign minister, the very people I mentioned, uh, and their involvement with this memo um, memorandum of understanding with Iran. That gets a lot of things. And and the other thing is about what we've been discussing the expansive role of Iran in Argentina and all over South America. And here you had a, a proposed deal, and I think there's going to be a major article coming out that people should look for in a very prestigious uh, magazine uh, detailing some of the information about coming from former ministers who now live elsewhere, uh, are Venezuelan ministers who are aware of the deal, where Iran wanted the charges against their ministers and, you know, Veliati and others dropped, in regard to the bombing and uh, and nuclear information in exchange for them giving money. And there are allegations that significant amounts of money were paid by Iran for uh, Kushner's uh, earlier presidential campaign. Mm. So it is a real mess, and it's a very complicated and, and difficult issue. And frankly, people are beginning to get frustrated, do not believe uh, they will come to a conclusion. And after 21 years... No one has been charged in the bombings that took so many lives at the Israeli embassy in the two and in ninety four at the, the Jewish community center. Unbelievable! Anybody talking about Aliyah in the community? There is a, uh, some Aliyah. Uh, it's not something that people talk about as openly. Uh, I do think that this is that people are in shock right now and do not know how to react to, to this uh, circumstance. And again, it's not uh, so much street. Uh, anti-Semitism and, and physical violence. But as somebody said to me, a leader, one of the leaders said, we're between updating your passport and physical violence. Unbelievable. They're more willing to speak openly about it in Europe, you're saying, in, in terms of the community. About, about Aliyah, it, it, it's, but, but there has always been a, uh, an Aliyah from Argentina. There was in an earlier period, if you remember, when people were disappearing, etc. if you remember the earlier history, um, and then some went back, some stayed. Uh, you know, Argentina's yeah. community, as I said, is very large and well-established. A lot of institutions. But I think the the, uh, the atmosphere has dramatically changed in a short period of time. I spoke Wednesday with the only uh, member of the current Knesset of Ethiopian descent, and he said that the protests and demonstrations in light of the uh, soldier being beaten by police uh, in Israel, I'm talking about Israel now, not anywhere, not the cities we're used to here that go through this. Um, uh, that that uh, the peace, that the demonstrations were peaceful and that they were uh, uh, that they spun out of control because of outside agitators, so to speak. Is that what you've been told and what you've discovered about the uh, protests by the Ethiopian community in Israel? Well, the Ethiopians uh, have generally have been uh, always peaceful. There are, have been demonstrations earlier, you know, for increased uh, aliyah for from people from uh, bringing people their relatives who are left behind in Ethiopia. I didn't realize there's an issue about Jewish descent, and that's that's holding it up. That's what he explained to us that there's a major debate about not debate, but they're trying to get past this issue of so many people in Israel in leadership roles who claim that the people who are still there may not be Jewish. This is a long debate. It's not new. Uh, and supposedly all of those who could demonstrate, you know, that in fact they were Jews, although many converted under force and they were, and re- came back to the, to the Jewish people. Right. Uh, it's a separate issue. It's not the issue that here, it, it, it's, uh, I think an explosion of frustration uh, larger than just the issue of the one soldier. Um, uh, that, 
gave rise to this, but we know that there are outside agitators who get involved in these demonstrations, and not just the Ethiopians, because it serves a political purpose, because they want to ratchet it up. And and the in the larger picture, not necessarily related to these demonstrations, the, the, the reports keep coming out about how the European money going to those who, who demonstrate, who agitate, who promote BDS, who do other things, uh, money coming from other sources, uh, which uh, to people who, whose goal is to instigate and to disrupt society. There are legitimate reasons for protests. I think the Ethiopians probably have a lot of frustrations and, and uh, claims and that should be uh, dealt with. Uh, so, uh, so does every group in Israel. That's part of the nature of Israel. Everybody has a has a problem. <laughs> Some are more serious and more real. And and look, they came from their very difficult circumstances. There are great success stories. I think overall, you took people from the Middle Ages and put them in the 21st century. Uh, many have served with distinction in the army. They served uh, are getting elected to the Knesset to, to other positions of importance. You know, it's a process. Um, but the you know the question of the Aliyah is a very sensitive one because every time uh, many some of these as you, you mentioned claim that you know each time we're told that it's another two thousand and that finishes it and then of course there's two thousand more and two thousand more and people want to leave Ethiopia many of them live as Jews in Ethiopia now in camps and in other places and they're saying look these people put on tefillin every day they they daven. Others are saying, well, they do that because they know that that's the way to get recognized and, and come to Israel. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's cynical. I, we all protested for the freedom of Ethiopian Jews. Um, and I hope that the, the, at least the grievances should be studied and where possible addressed. And the immigration issue is a very sensitive one. Which story made you happier this week? Uh, Israel ignoring Jimmy Carter or the fact that Al Jazeera is not making inroads in the U.S.? Well, both were pleasant to hear in the, you know, in a difficult week. But the, uh, I think that the Israeli government absolutely made the right choice. It, it, it is a, a, a statement that some people will say, well, you don't ignore a president. Yes, you do. And somebody who has made the outrageous statements, it's not because you keep into the Vatican. He's not coming to meet Israeli leaders in order to learn more. He's a closed-minded man. He has, he has repeated his charges in book after book and speech after speech. So I do believe that, uh, that the decision was right. And Al Jazeera, it was largely predictable. I met with them in the very beginning. They came to me and they wanted us to pressure them. They wanted to have a relationship with the Jewish community. And I said, you do it by your performance. Don't come to us now and, and tell us promises. And the fact is that it, it, it's not like other parts of the world. It just doesn't resonate with the American people. Right. I wonder if they're being... Even though sometimes their coverage is actually quite interesting because they have a lot of people on the ground. They have a lot of money to keep, still keep reporters when most of the news agencies, you know, rely on the stringers or, or wire services. Right. And they have their own independent people. Well, independent's the wrong word, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. For now on, he'll be Dr. Malcolm Honeline, at least for the next few days. What, what's your opening line, by the way? You always have a great joke or some cute line when you get up to speak. As you accept your honorary doctorate from Temple University, give us a sneak preview as to what you might say. Uh, I will report it afterwards. <laughs> and uh, I did already give one speech yesterday. And, uh, Was there a good joke in that one? Of course. But the, you know, the, the, the message as you say, you can't go home. You can. And, and there is a significance, uh, to it. Temple University played a very important role at the time 
when I went to have a very large Jewish population. It's become much more expansive now. Um, and the, you know, the, the founder called the place Acres of Diamonds. Now it looks like Miles of Diamonds. The, the university stretches all the way up Broad Street. It's building after building after building of, uh, uh, various schools and, and parts of the, of the university. I'm asking you for comedy and you're getting nostalgic on me? Oh, no, I'm not being nostalgic. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what the opening line is. It's got to be a good one, especially after what you just said, spending so much time there and meaning so much to you. There's got to be I something else. I, I, I didn't say I spent my time. I went to school there. What if, I guarantee, uh, what if I guarantee you I won't tweet it out until after your speech? Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, you won't. <laughs> uh, well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Malcolm Honline becomes Dr. Malcolm Honline, at least for a morning at Temple University. You know, it happened twice before, and it, nobody ever called me doctor, and I never had to be called. But yeah, that, that's what frustrated me. Nice recognition, and I'm proud. That's what frustrated me at the beginning of this conversation. You've got three honorary doctorates. You gotta, you gotta figure out a way to get me at least one. There's gotta be, there's gotta be some, maybe one of these local Jersey City colleges will do it. You know, in recognition, in recognition of the show. Wouldn't that be? All that you have, all the attention you have brought to Jersey City, et cetera. Absolutely. Listen, I know you have a lot of issues to deal with. Could you put this at the top of the agenda, please? Right. If, uh, we'll certainly try to do so. <laughs> Mazel tov and have a wonderful Thanks. Shabbos. There he is, Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Thank God our cell phone line held up, or I should say his cell phone line held up. Not bad for a uh, on-the-road discussion. Weekly update, Friday, 740 Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. Friday morning on the Sarah of Shabbos, candle lighting at 740. Mother's Day is Sunday. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Reminder, Naomi Nachman coming up live, 9 a.m. from Gourmet Glot on Spruce Street in Cedarhurst with great guests, great demonstrations, and great giveaways. Stop by between 9 and 1030 to join her on Table for Two this morning at Gourmet Glot in Cedarhurst. That will be done live, of course. Uh, video will be up at NahumSiegel.com. You can hear the whole thing on the NSN app or on jmnam.org. By the way, a big thank you to all the uh, NSN app users who were writing to me as the uh, as the conversation with Malcolm Holmline was going on. A lot of good material out there, and I appreciate it. It's a great way to communicate with us, especially if you're listening with the app. It's perfect. You sit there, and uh, you just hit the uh, little part of the uh, home screen that says, add a comment. Simple as that. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Emor. Parshas Emor contains, according to the Chinuch, 63 mitzvos, 24 positive mitzvos, and 39 restrictions. It begins with the laws of Tumas Kohanim, forbidding the Kohanim to come into contact, be under the same roof as a deceased, laws that Kohanim practice to this very day, the specific laws as to who the Kohen can and cannot marry. And you have in this week's Parsha as well, the Parshas HaMoadim. In chapter 23, the Chagim 
are presented in the order that they come during the calendar year. And I'd like to focus this morning on the mitzvah of Sfiras HaOmer, that we are in the midst thereof. Last night we counted 34 in the Omer, and I would just want to throw out and have everybody focus, and I'd be honored if you bring this to the table tonight, the whole concept of Omer. Now, according to the Chinuch Mitzvah 306, which is the mitzvah of counting the Omer, the, there is a basic machlokes as to whether or not this mitzvah today is a biblical mitzvah. The Rambam is of the opinion that it is still today considered a biblical obligation, while according to the Shulchan Aruch, the Rush before the Shulchan Aruch, and others, because we do not yet have the Korban Omer, and from the text, one could very well see that the contingency, the counting, is contingent upon the bringing of the Korban Omer. Since we don't have the Korban today, the offering of the Omer, so the counting today is a rabbinic mitzvah, it is a zecher lemikdash, a reminder as to what we had, and please God, what we will have. Let's ask a very basic question. What is an Omer? So, if you look to the first time that this term is used in the Torah, it is found at the end of Parshas Bishalach, where the Torah is talking about the man which descended to the Jewish people in the desert, Moshe tells the people that this is what Hashem has instructed. Liktu, you are to gather an Omer Lagulgolas. You are to gather an Omer's amount of man per person, so basically, an Omer is an amount that satiated the average person. The miracle was that it satiated each individual. One who was elderly and didn't need that much, and one who was in their prime and needed more. Everybody had an Omer of Mun per day. And the last Pasuk, in chapter 16 in Shmos, teaches us that the Omer is a series or eifa, a tenth of an eifa, the volume of approximately 42 and a half eggs. It is a dry measure. Now, there is a theme in the Torah that repeats itself many times, namely that the consecration of firsts. So the firstborn son after 30 days is to be redeemed. Pidyon Ben. The produce that grows in the land of Israel cannot be eaten. It is called Tevel. Until the landowner designates 
the first, namely the truma portion for the Kohen. And then he gets to the Levi, the Levi's Ma'aser, the 10%. Thus, bringing annually in the Beis HaMikdash on the second day of Pesach, an Omer measure of barley as an expression of our appreciation to Hashem for His giving us the barley crop is most understandable and it fits in to the established pattern of the firsts being consecrated. However, what is rather perplexing is that this Korban, this offering is referred to as the Korban Omer, as if the specific amount of barley the Omer's worth brought, played a significant role in this Korban. Moreover, the Torah uses the term Omer three additional times in Parshas Emor, teaching that the Omer of barley is to be waived, Omer HaTnufa, on the second day of Pesach. In addition to the waving of the Omer, a karbon, a lamb, is to be offered. And finally, the mitzvah of counting the Omer, or more specifically, bridging the two holidays of Pesach and Shavuos, begins on the day that you bring the Omer of waving. But again, why call it Sfiras HaOmer? Omer is that measure. What a strange term. And interestingly, you look in Shulchan Aruch, chapter 4, 93, the heading is Dinim Hanoagim Bimeha Omer. The specific laws as to what we can do, haircuts, weddings, to Lagba Omer, after Lagba Omer. But the days are called the days of the Omer. Why call a days after the amount of barley that was brought? And therefore, it seems most strange that the Torah should place such emphasis on what appears at first glance to be a most minor detail, specifically how much barley Namer and Omer's worth constituted the offering. Rav Yosef Salant Zatzal, in his work, the Be'er Yosef, provides a most exciting response to this question. He says that the Torah is calling attention to the man by referring to the karban that we bring of thanksgiving for the barley crop. The Torah is reminding us of the man by calling this a karban omer. Moreover, the bringing of this karban omer on the second day of Pesach is most propitious. It's most fitting, namely... He notes that historically, as the Gemara in Tanis teaches us on Davtes Amar Aleph 9a, the, the man descended Bishus Moshe in the merit of Moshe Rabbeinu. Thus, we are taught that the man stopped falling on Zion Adar the seventh of Adar, in the fortieth year, the day 
of Moshe's passing. Now among the many miracles that occurred with the Mun, were taught that this last portion of Mun nourished the Jewish nation for the 30-day period of mourning for Moshe from Zion Adar till Zion Nisan, three additional days till Yud Nisan as they prepared to cross the Yardane, and through the 15th of Nisan, meaning they came into Eretz Yisrael. What did they eat those first few days? They ate that man which came down on Zion Adar. And they ate the man through the first day of Pesach. And we're taught in the book of Yoshua in Perek Hay, Pasuk Yud Aleph, that on the second day of Pesach, they began to eat, for the first time, the produce of the land of Israel. So it's thus understandable that annually, to mark this transition from Mun to produce of the land of Israel, the Jewish nation is to bring an Omer's worth of barley, not only saying thank you to Hashem, for the barley crop, but in appreciation for the many Omer of Man that had nourished them for their stay in the Midbar. Moreover, as the Man taught them to have total reliance and faith in Hashem, that He is the provider of their sustenance, so too now that they would be planting and harvesting and deriving their food from the ground and not from the sky, they could easily come to believe, as we find in Devarim, chapter 8, Kochi v'otsem yodi asaliya my strength and the might of my hand made me all this wealth. And thus, the Torah said that on this day of transition, bring an Omer of barley to remember the Omer of Man. For ultimately, there is no difference between Lechem min HaShamayim and Lechem min aretz, bread made in heaven or that which sprouts forth from the earth. In addition, Rav Salant brings the following interesting medrash. In Vayikor Rabbah, 28.3, in this week's parsha, Rabbi Brechia taught, Hashem directed Moshe to tell B'nai Yisrael a most interesting observation. Hashem, in His generosity, provided an omer per person in the desert, every single day. Yet, when they reciprocate, and the Jewish people bring an Omer to him, it is but one Omer on behalf of the entire nation, not even an Omer per person. And I believe that if one takes the time to do the math, the results are astounding. My friends, there were approximately two million souls in the desert. The Torah tells us in Parshas, Bo, when they left Egypt, that there were 600,000 men. There were at least an equal number of women. There were older people, younger people, and therefore the number was about 2 million. So each week, Hashem 
provided special delivery, 14 million Omer of Mun, to wherever they were in the desert. Make the calculation. Monthly, it's 56 million. Annually, it's 672 million. And over 40 years, I hope you're sitting down, they received approximately 26 billion, 880 million portions of Omer a month. And all Hashem asks in return is one Omer of barley, not even wheat, which is of a higher quality. The message is so powerfully penetrating. Hashem gives us so much and asks so little in return. And in reality, we find this in the Gemara, Rosh Hashanah, Daf Tezayim Amir Aleph, whereby the Gemara says, in the name of Rav Yehuda, Mishum Rav Yakiva, Mipneima Torah. Why does the Torah say, bring an Omer on Pesach? Why? Because Pesach is the time that the produce is being judged. Hashem therefore says, Bring before me the Omer on Pesach, in order so the produce in the fields will be blessed for you. And on this Mishnah, the second Mishnah in the first chapter of Rosh Hashanah, the Bartanura adds, Mida Amra Torah. Since the Torah in the first place asked for us to bring the Omer on Pesach, why does Hashem ask even for the Omer? In order that He will be able to reciprocate in kind with us and bless our Tvua. And the Gemara continues, that's why we have the Shteyalechem on Shavuos, those two loaves. You bring me, says the Gemara, Hashem says, the two loaves on Shavuos, and I will bless, bless the fruit of your trees. And that's why on Sukkos, we have Nisoch HaMayim, we have the pouring of the water on the Mizbeach. Why? You pour for me, and God says, I will pour down for you and cause the rains to come down. Finally, let's close with that beautiful language of the Medrash. In Shira Shirim Rabbah, chapter 5. And what does the Pasuk say? On Pishuli, open up for me, Amr HaKadosh Baruch Yisrael. God says to the Jewish nation, Bonai, Pishuli Pesach Echad. You open up for me an opening. How small? Even Kechudosh Machat. Even the size of the eye of a needle. As long as you take that first step towards tshuva, va'ani and I, poseach lochem psachim, I'll give you opportunities and I'll open doors for you, shiwa golos, ukronios, nichnasos bo, that wagons and large vehicles will be able to pass through. Once again, he asks so much he provides so much for us and asks so little in return. Shabbat Shalom to all. 
That's the Weiner Brothers. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, day 34 in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Uh, Erev Shabbos, Parsha's MR. Well, MR outside of Israel. Uh, candle lighting at 740. 740. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Mother's Day is Sunday. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Hey, speaking of Simchas... Listener Rachel is celebrating a bat mitzvah. Mazal tov. Rachel Frank of Brooklyn, New York, who's a student at the Yeshiva of Flatbush. And an amazing young lady. She is celebrating her bat mitzvah this weekend. And we say mazal tov to her, mazal tov to Susan and Danny Frank. And the Rachel will continue to be known as Listener Rachel, who, by the way, is both a... Uh, Washington Redskins fan and a New York Mets fan. So I'll be rooting for both those teams in their next games. Hey, it's the least I could do for the bat mitzvah girl. So mazal tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Also last night had the privilege of being there and uh, introducing the Hassan and Kala at the Stern and Fink wedding uh, in um, uh, the Meadowlands, the Hilton Meadowlands. This was for the... Stern family, their third wedding in six months, thank God. Amazing. They should continue to celebrate wonderful smachot. Uh, to Adovi and Ayelet, Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM and the AM. To Ephraim and Yonina Stern out in Woodmere. And to Yosef and Javi Fink up in Riverdale. And to the Marks family and everybody who participated yesterday, Mazal Tov. The Aaron Tadabam Orchestra was amazing. I said to Yisrael Lamb, I said, uh, nice to reunite. You know, figured two, three weeks off, you know, in the middle of Sphira. <laughs> he turns to me and says, it's as if 
they never left, as if the uh, group had been together all this time. And that's how they sound, I'll tell you that much. Shlaimi Daskal, amazing. Uh, the full uh, string and French horn section, and uh, they just did a remarkable job. And Aaron Teitelbaum, uh, Joe Blumenthal, everybody who, uh, Amati J, everybody who helped coordinate everything, just a great job. So it was wonderful to be there, and Mazel Tov again to the Stern and Fink families from all of us here at JM in the AM. Reminder, Charlie Bernhardt is going to do Yasala's return to Oaf Tzedek. Charlie Bernhardt has a PowerPoint program coming Sunday at 6 p.m. to Oaf Tzedek at 118 West 95th Street in the Life of Music of the Great Cantor Yasala Rosenblatt. That's his coming Sunday night. And um, you'll have your chance to go and visit Charlie and relive some great Yasala moments. He is going to be playing the uh, the piece from uh, from the jazz singer. <laughs> it's a good piece. Young Israel of Woodmere has their event tomorrow night addressing sexual abuse in the Jewish community. Panelists will include uh, Rabbi Billet, uh, Dr. Michael Solomon, uh, two members of the uh, community who are childhood sex abuse victims. Uh, Avi Lauer will lead the uh, panel. He'll moderate the panel that will follow the presentations. He's chair of the Young Israel's Child Safety Panel. It's all happening tomorrow night, Young Israel of Woodmere. So check that out. Very important event, obviously. Um, great programming on our stream all through the weekend, including JM Sunday with Matis, including Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night with Avrami. Make sure to be tuned in at jmtheam.org. And Naomi is going to be hosting Table for Two live. Table for Two will be live from Gourmet Lot five minutes from now. You'll have your chance. If you're out in the, in the five towns, go. They have giveaways. They have demonstrations. They have a great um, uh, list of interviewees who she's going to be speaking to about Shavuos and many other things. So you can make sure to uh, head on out there if you're in the uh, Cedarhurst, Woodmere area. Hey, listener, Cena wrote to us. Mazel Tov and best wishes. Go to Zadie Lou Lawrence of North Miami Beach celebrating birthday 94, Kenai Hara. This Shabbos, may Hashem continue to bless you with abundant good health and nachos from us all. And may we zoha to celebrate many more birthdays with you at Meiva Esrim. Amen to that. Love from Sina, Ira, Yaakov, Shoshana, Sarah, Shimshi, Tzipi, Shayadov, all the great grandchildren. I'm t- tossing in my own special Mazda as well. I'm tossing in my own special Mazda to a Zaydi. That's a wonderful piece of news. Happy birthday from all of us here at JM in the AM. Candle lighting at 7.40. Time to say good job as it's Journeys at JM in the AM.
say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine. Man and his creator, it's a very special sign. Your candles will be burning, they'll fill your home with light. Singing songs of Shabbos, well into the night. So throw away your hammer, there's nothing left to do. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listen to sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Naomi Nachman is next on jmtheam.org and on the NSN app and on nachomsegel.com if you want to watch the video live from... Gourmet Glot on Spruce Street in Cedarhurst. Great guests, great demonstrations. It's table for two, plus great giveaways as well. Make sure to tune in through one of those methods and enjoy, of course, all day long on the stream after that. It's an amazing Kedem presentation of our Erev Shabbos music mix all the way until candlelighting time. There is no better way to prepare for Shabbos. Hey, Leo, West Englewood Avenue in Teaneck at Filler Up. Thank you for keeping that stream going every single Friday for your wonderful customers. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great job. It's a wonderful weekend. We are back uh, Monday morning at 6 a.m. Till then, Alfam Segal reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.